All right. So I started the so Brandy, thanks for joining me here. So if you want to get a little bit started, tell tell me about I guess a little bit about I, I guess your 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 where where you grew up and how you feel about where you grew up influence where you are. Okay. So I grew up in California. So I'm a Cali girl. I lived uh-huh. there for about 16 years. I lived in Northern California by San Francisco area. And then like at the age of 16, my family decides that they want to move from California to Hawaii. So we moved to Hawaii. I lived there for about six years and it was, it what was part great. Of Hawaii? I lived in Kailua. So I lived on the east side of the island and I went to a school called Kalaheo High School. And that's where like most of the military brats went to. So, you know, people who weren't really the locals. So I went over there. I wasn't military at all, but you know, my family decided to up and leave and we moved to Hawaii and it was beautiful. It was great. And that's really where I kind of like experienced my initial trauma, I guess you can say. So like uh-huh. my stepdad ended up leaving my mom or leaving us rather. And we had, you know, that's a huge income deficit. Mm-hmm. The place is already extremely expensive. Right. So we're going through lots of financial ruins there and not having you know, almost losing our house. And we literally have no money at all to feed the dogs, to feed us. And so we just start struggling like a lot, you know, initially. And then we ended up actually telling a friend of mine whose father was in the military and he was some big, you know, high ranking person in the brigade area on the Marine Corps base. It was called Kaneohe Bay. And they actually came over and they dropped off huge parcels of food, like hundreds and hundreds of boxes of MREs. And we lived off of that for quite some time. And then at that time, we kind of just realized that there was a thing called the military, you know, the army, that when things got super tough, those individuals or that organization would be there for you. So my sister and I kind of made it like a little pack saying, you know, when we get grow up and we're older, we're going to join the military and enlist. And then that's what we did. I joined the military in 2008. She joined in 2007, I think. What branch? I was in the Army. I was in the Army. And initially, I wanted to join the Air Force, but they had a really long waiting period. I think it was like up to six months. And I, was, and I really wanted to go. So I didn't want to wait. I wanted to sign up like tomorrow. I wanted to get the, you know, get out of there. And it wasn't, I wasn't like running away from anything. I just needed, you know, I, I don't know what it was exactly. I just wanted to, to do it. And I walked past the army recruiting station and the guy came out and he's like, Hey, you know, how's everything going? Have you thought about joining the army? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, you guys go to war. Like, I don't really want to do all that stuff. So he pulls me in and he ends up talking me into joining the army. And, you know, I signed the paperwork and I think I was out like that next Wednesday, I was gone. It was a fast process. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm going to leave and we're going to see what happens and joined in 2008. And then that same year after basic training, after AIT, I get to my main duty station. I'm there for one month and nine days, and then I'm deployed to Iraq. And that's another crazy thing that happened. I was like, what, (laughs) why is this happening? You know, I just learned how to shoot a 50 cal, how to, you know, clear a room. I just swapped out my college books and for like an M16. And now I'm like, going to be fighting with these like real killers. I was like, this is, this was a bad choice. You know, this is not, this is not a smart decision. So 
joining the military was a little scary at first. Well, the entire time it was scary, you know, but yeah, I got deployed right away. And that was very scary. Exactly what you see on TV. It's all of that crazy crap. Well, I guess from my, from my experience, what, what about the whole of, uh, I guess I'm making, I'm, I am making assumptions, but but I've heard, what, what, what was the experience, I guess, being a woman in the army, which I feel very kind of, kind of male, patriarchal, male dominated. What was that, that aspect? Like? Yeah, that was very interesting. So we're always getting the, on this base, I go to a red zone, which is considered like very dangerous area. So there's lots of bombs. I'm at this place called Fob Echo. It's 80, 186 miles south of Baghdad, something like that. It's in Diwania. So I'm there. And so there's lots of bombs, lots of insurgents, just lots of crazy stuff all the time on this base. On top of being sexually harassed all the time, right. on top of people like microaggressions, people kind of like, I don't know, just being really disrespectful. And it's like you're at a, you're in a whole nother world. So it's just different, like trying to ask for help or knowing who can, who's on your side and what's going to happen if you tell on somebody, or if you bring awareness to the situation. So it's like on top of all of this stress, like there's more stress and you're supposed to be providing safety in these areas that you're deployed to, but like, I didn't even feel safe. You know, I was getting harassed every day, every single day. And I didn't want to get people in trouble. And I didn't want to like rub them the wrong way because if we had to go outside the wire and God forbid, we get in some sort of firefight and the person that I need help from now is now not going to help me because I turned down his sexual advantages. You know, I just, it was just a really, you know, thin line to teeter totter between, but yeah, it was like, you know, you're being looked at and groped and touched and all inappropriate types of stuff all the time, every day. <laughs> right. So how did you, how did you manage that? What, what, what kept you going? Yeah, well, I, you know, I brought the awareness to one of my NCOs and he kind of calmed it down a bit and told him, you know, you can't be treating her like this. She's one of us, you know, she's on our team. <laughs> you wouldn't like your mother or your sister going through this. So you know, don't be disrespectful like that. So they calmed it down, but it was just a lot of, you know, I just tried not to shake it too much. Cause I didn't want, like, I still would need their help. You know, I, I still, they still need my help. So I just wanted to make sure that our relationship wasn't ruined. It was just more professional and letting them know that there was like boundaries that I don't feel comfortable with you guys talking to me like that or trying to touch me like that. So I had to bring it up. But I also had to you know, make sure I wasn't really pissing anybody off because I didn't want, you know, if I needed their help sometime, I didn't want them not to help me in the future for whatever reason that was. So I just try to bear with it sometimes. It was kind of hard. It was very stressful, but, you know, that's, what I, that's how I had to survive. Had to figure right. out. And the whole sarcoma thing, when did that mm. happen? Yeah. That so in December in 2008, I had been working out a lot, like crazy in the mornings, the afternoons and at night. And there's not much to do when you're deployed because, you know, it's not like you can go to a store, you can go to like the movies, except for at least where our base wasn't like that. We didn't have all those extra activities like a pool. And some of the places had that we didn't have that. It was a very small, confined area that got bombed a lot. So you work out a lot. So I was working out a ton. I think in January, December, January timeframe, I just started feeling really exhausted, like beyond belief, no matter how much rest I got, no matter how much 
sleep I got, like I was just still really tired. And I thought it was just because, you know, like I'm being sexually harassed and microaggressions. I'm in the middle of a war. I'm away from my family. It's, you know, holiday season time. So I'm thinking all of that outside is why I'm so exhausted. Like, you know, what's going on and that's the stress of what's happening. But it was like something completely different. It was, you know, cancer like setting up in my body. So then in January, like the middle of January, I had done legs the week before and, you know, legs, you're like, you're tired, your legs hurt. So I'm like stretching and I pull my left leg up to my chest. I'm just holding it there. And I would like run my hand down my leg and I felt a lump. I'm like, what is this? You know, I've never seen this. And you ca- I couldn't see the lump if I was just standing up regular or walking or doing anything. I could only see it if I pulled my, like my leg up to my chest. And I was like, that's so weird. But I didn't think anything was, you know, serious. I, I had, I'd never met anybody who had this. I never knew about what this could potentially be. Like, I just didn't know. So I showed a couple of friends. I showed my NCO, showed the medics, all that. Everybody was super concerned except for me, right? Cause I'm 24. I'm really in great shape. Like, I feel like I'm invincible. Like nothing can harm me. So I don't think anything's wrong, but everybody else thinks something's terribly wrong. So show the medics and they immediately send me on a, the next helicopter out, which was like eight o'clock at night. Cause you can't fly during the day. Cause it's not safe. So they send me out. I go to uh, Baghdad to get a CT scan. I go to Launchville, Germany to get an MRI. Oh. So I'm like traveling literally worlds apart in different areas of the, of the world trying to figure out what this lump is my leg and nobody's telling me anything. They're just saying, Hey, you know, there's blood flowing in and out. It's a solid mass. Like you have to get this test next again. So get to launch to Germany and they, they run the test and they say it's a tumor. And I'm like, I've never, I'm 24. I don't even know why I never heard of a tumor, but I didn't, you know, it just didn't even register, but they said it was a tumor. And I remember thinking like, what is that? Like, what's a tumor? How do you get it? You know, how, how soon does it go away? Like, what is this stuff? So they explain what a tumor is. And during this time, I'm in like constant communication with my mother. So I explained to my mom what's going on and where I'm at and why I'm there and have this lump in my leg and how I think I've pulled a muscle ridiculous. So she's like, you know, she's really concerned. Of course, you know, all parents probably would be, except for me. I, you know, I just, don't understand really what's really going on. And then after I get the MRI done, they tell me it's a tumor and they first misdiagnosed me with the wrong cancer. They say it's something called a nerve sheath tumor and not Ewing sarcoma. And I remember when the doctor, you know, gave me my results, he was telling me, he's like, well, let's just be happy that it's not a sarcoma. I was like, what was the difference between the two? One is less severe. (laughs) One has a uh, better chance of, according to statistics, like a better survival rate, Ewing sarcoma, that type of cancer runs, it goes to your brain, your spinal cord and your uh, brainstem, right? And you're not like, you probably won't make it past that year. And if you do, you're not going to make it past five years. So just the survival rates are just super low. It's very aggressive. So he was hoping that it was not that and the nerve sheath tumor, like the, the cancer is on their, their nerve. Like you can scrape it off and remove it. Like he was just making it sound like the other one was just so much more better. So I was like, okay. So I am diagnosed with that. And, you know, I was 24. I didn't know what was going on. I've never had, you know, cancer didn't run in my family. Like what, 
is going on. You know, 28 days ago, I was fine. And now I'm dying potentially. And, you know, I don't know what's really going to be happening with my future. So I tell my mom the information and the news. And of course she, she's screaming, she's crying. She's can barely talk. She's, you know, in, you know, a state of shock, much like I was. And she tells me that she's going to quit her job. She's going to leave everything. She's going to go take care of me at Walter Reed. And she's going to be there for me and not to worry. So all that was wonderful. Having like a really strong support system there the entire time, which a lot of people normally don't have. Like, I don't think anybody really has the liberty to like stop working, change their entire life around, leave their home and their business and job and come take care of a sick child. Like, I don't even know. I, don't, I really don't know anybody that's had that type of support, but thank goodness I did. Cause right. I definitely believe that's why I was able to, to, you know, be here till today for sure. So I get to Walter Reed, but they say they have to do a new biopsy because the old cells had died and they want to make, you know, make for sure that this is a nerve sheath tumor. So we do the new biopsy. They come in, they look all nervous. And I'm like, Shit. you know, like what is going on? And then they tell me that it's Ewing sarcoma cancer, not a nerve sheath tumor. And I'm like, oh my God, this is not going to end well. And then, you know, the doctors think I'm going to die. They're having me update my will like every damn day. They're the priest is coming in with this huge crucifix. He's like laying it on me all dramatic and he's Hispanic and he's asking me, you know, do I believe in God and have I given my life to Christ? Are you Hispanic? I, my mom is, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's just, I was like, what is going on? You know, like this is crazy, crazy, crazy. But I, you know, I beat the, I beat the odds and I, I made it and, you know, it was, what, what was the, um, did you receive any treatment? How did you, uh, yes. Yeah. So I had to do a treatment for five days on eight days off, five days on eight days off. And I had chemo 101 times in 10 months. Oh. And it was really hard. I had a massive surgery. So they removed my entire adductor muscle out Wow. and That's... the whole thing, all three compartments, they, they, they removed everything. So Got that taken out. What do they they put back? They put nothing back. I guess I'm assuming, but maybe, I would think you'd have issues walking or no. Uh-huh. I had to learn how to walk again. I, so I can walk fine now. You know, it took years of like rehabbing my leg back to normal or t- sense of normalcy. So I don't have a limp. Like I had a super bad limp for a very long time. So that's gone. Thank goodness. But there's still like the inside of my leg. You can feel the entire bone mm-hmm. all the way down. So I grew up being an athlete. I played basketball and soccer. I, you know, I'm super athletic my entire life. And I thought in, you know, joining the military, I, one of the reasons was to join the all army team to play soccer. Made it on the team. It was wonderful. It was great. But then I got deployed. So I had to go with my unit, get deployed. And then I'd have a, you know, a seat on the, on the roster. But that never happened because I can't run anymore. You know, life totally changed. So being an athlete your entire life, Right. And now your entire identity is gone, like gone there. And there was nothing I could do about, it. there was no say so in anything. If I wanted to live or to keep my life or to, uh, to keep my leg, I would have to, you know, cut it out. So it was hard and it's still pretty hard. You know, I can't do a lot of stuff that I would like to do because this leg is so much weaker. So when I run, it, 
it's really heavy. It feels like a, there's like a kid wrapped around it all day. It's just like a heavy. Well, you know, it's a big muscle, yeah, doctor. It's not like a, it's a, yeah, it's a big, yeah, it's not like a, a little. Yeah, took it all out. So it's, it's, I can't do a lot of different things. Like if you were to do flutter kicks, like this leg starts going out because there's no muscle to keep it straight and aligned. So I have to keep pushing it in turning corners are really hard. So a sarcoma, is it kind of a skin cancer? No, it's a soft tissue cancer. Oh, okay. I get, sorry. I thought there was a, I guess I'm getting the, the, the name. It's other thing. I thought it was called a basal cell sarcoma was a skin cancer. It's different. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting the name confused. Uh, well, there's lots of different yeah. sarcomas. So the type I had was uh, Ewing sarcoma and that's a soft tissue cancer. Okay. That's and it. then there is an osteosarcoma. Bone, bone. When it's bone, right? Mm-hmm. So it didn't get to the bone. Thank goodness. I had to do these, these biopsies. Oh, it was so painful. It was the worst ever, but it didn't get to the bone. Thank goodness. So, Otherwise, I had to do something so you, yeah, you seem like you do a lot of advocacy and outreach stuff. So how did you get involved with that kind of stuff? Yeah, I just, I know how important it is to give the message of hope to people because it's a cancers are already very like isolating disease, you know, nobody wants to feel even more alone while they're going through this. And I feel like if I'm able to let people know, yes, there's, you know, hard adversities, this is what it could potentially look like or feel like, however, you can still thrive. You can still have a life. It may not be the old life that you're used to and what you used to have, but you can still like co-create with this new individual that you are and make a new life and kind of like rebrand yourself, which is pretty awesome. A lot of people don't get the opportunity to to do that. So I just want to spread the message of that and just spread hope because it's so important. You know, when I know when people are going through issues, cancer or divorce or whatever, they're always looking for somebody who looks like them or somebody who's going through certain circumstances that are like them, or they have some sort of likability with it. And they want to see them doing well, right? You're not looking for stories where people are always, you know, the worst. You want to see people thriving and doing well. Like, I want to be that person that people are looking up to. So it's just been a really great opportunity to advocate for it, to talk and about what, it. What do you think was, I guess, what were some of the, the couple of things that were very important in your healing? Accepting what happened, right? Because I used to always just be like, oh, you know, before cancer, and I'd always live in the past and everything was just, I was just living so much in the past and like bringing up all these things I used to be great at, what I used to do. And it's like, that's gone. Like, why am I living in the past all the time? I need to make new memories. I need to experience new things so I can have something that's relevant to me now because that old Brandy is dead and gone. There, there's, there, she's never coming back. And that was the hardest thing was just knowing that that individual, that person who I used to be was gone. So just acceptance, accepting it and knowing that I had another opportunity to explore myself and figure out what I'm good and great at was, you know, just. And I, I mean, this is, I guess, a hard question, but, but what do you, I guess, what is it? You said it doesn't run your family. What, what, what how does one uh, guys get, get one of these? Uh, yeah. Well, so I was deployed in Iraq, right? And there is this lots of tons of information that's coming out about soldiers deployed in Iraq, veterans coming back, not doing well. And I think, I think too, that it was the burn pits that we were all exposed to. 
So they're burning everything you can think of, dead animals, trash, you know, bullets, everything, you know, because there's nowhere to put this trash. So they're burning it. So you are inhaling all of these fumes. So there's microplastics floating all around in the air. There was just a huge study done that came out last year in October, I think it was November, how they were saying like the pollutants in the air, the air quality is so poor that there was, they have, I don't know what the, the percentages are, but there are like massive amounts of microplastics that people are inhaling. And if you're inhaling all of that, that's not good for the body. Of course, that's going to disrupt your immune system, right. disrupt the body It's going to cause havoc. It's going to cause issues. So a lot of people that are being deployed are coming back sick. It might not all be cancer, but a lot of it's like lung related. Some of them are having lots of skin cancer and skin issues and rashes. Others are having different types of cancers. Like it's lots of cancer. So I definitely believe it was environmental based is where I got my cancer because the type of cancer that I had is in little kids that are Caucasian and they're boys. (laughs) I'm not sure how I got it, but I got the luck of the stick and that's what happened. But and what about, are you, are you connected with veteran communities uh, locally mm-hmm. at all? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing a lot of work with a company called Hunter seven foundation. And that's all we do is we're getting the word out about veterans being exposed to the different toxins, understanding what you're being exposed to. And we're trying to get a couple of things, you know, passed with, you know, up in DC, but I'm working with them and different podcasts. I've been guests on and kind of being co-hosts with them as well. But yeah, I don't know if you yeah. ever came across these guys. I, I, well, one of my friends, he's also a therapist, social worker. He, he created this group called the combat hippies. And have you ever came across? Uh, I haven't, but, I'll uh, check it out then. Well, they do this performance kind of about their kind of, they're all, well, now there's less of them, but they're all um, Puerto Rican and they grew up in New York and they talk about their kind of, experience the trauma of um, the Bronx and then then going to, to one was a Marine and the other one was the Army. And, and yeah, they do talk about their, they sort of frame it around post-traumatic growth rather than post-traumatic stress. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. I feel like sometimes it is necessary and it does make you grow and pushes you out of your element and all that great stuff. But sometimes it is super traumatizing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. That's a good one. I'll have to check them out on that. Yeah, I can, I can connect you with them. Yeah. Okay. All right. Any any interesting talks or workshops you're doing or speaking? Yeah, I have a talk on April 9th. It's a cancer survivor conference with University of Minnesota. I don't know about the other ones. I'll have to look on my calendar. I have uh, an event May 16th. There's another one. That one's in California. It's another conference, another talk. I have another one. I believe it's in Chicago. It's June 2nd to the 7th. That one hasn't been finalized yet, but working on that right there. Small things here and there. 